If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. And so that's how I feel like self-development really fits in with systemic change work, is that if you can't make sophisticated decisions because you're so tied to your own opinion that you're willing to filibuster or you're willing to defend against any type of complexity because it interrupts your identity, then we're never going to get anywhere. What's happening around the world with our soils right now? How does that impact us? And how does this fit into the sustainability conversation? How can we go from awareness of systemic issues, which often are very large scale and difficult to fully comprehend, to taking action and moving the needle forward in a positive way? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Now, I want to take a quick moment to remind you that if you want to receive the podcast's weekly highlights and get a leisurely quick read on Sundays as you prepare for the new week, you can head to greendreamer.com to sign up. I write these myself, and I look forward to connecting with you there. And now to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today has been named one of the root 100 most influential African Americans. She's a former executive director for People's Grocery and Green for All, and is the founder and CEO of Soil and Shadow, a project development firm working to create systems change while improving relationships between communities. Her work really centers around strengthening social equity for underrepresented populations in food systems, social services, public health, climate solutions, and economic development. This was definitely an enriching, deep, and thought-provoking conversation. I learned so much myself, and I hope it's an enlightening one for you as well. So without further ado, Green Dreamer, starting off with what got her into sustainability, here's Nikki Silvestri. I was doing black theater at UCLA, actually, which was kind of funny because that was what I wanted to do, black folklore. And then a really good friend of mine, Michael Cox, if you're listening, Michael, what up? <laughs> he invited 
to this class called the Education for Sustainable Living Program. And at that point, I'd never heard of sustainability. But it was really that concept that got me into the environment. I was always like a Captain Planet kid and, you know, had roots from way back that I knew the environment was important, but it was learning about sustainability that made it a passion that turned into a career. Yeah. What did you learn exactly about sustainability that really just drew you in? I think it was the way that ecology, economy, and equity were all together. That I previously understood environmentalism to just be about whales and oceans and things like that. And sustainability was this, it felt like a much larger concept around community development. And just how if we're building cities and we're building society, we can do that with an eye toward the economy and the environment, but also toward social stuff with people. And all of those things together, it felt like a really interdisciplinary, interconnected idea. And there was something emotionally that really appealed to me. It's really connecting the dots to see that everything is connected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So your work has revolved heavily around strengthening social equity, especially as it has to do with environmentalism. What's something you feel like most people don't understand about how social inequality impacts the movement? I think... People hold social inequality as either a very big picture or super specific to a sector concept. So, for example, big picture would just be human trafficking or something like that. And then very specific would be police brutality or the prison industrial complex. And those concepts are absolutely really important. But I feel like what I work on and the thing that I think is misunderstood is that there's just some basic human to human, the octave lower than the systemic issues that we have that are about trust, that are about defensiveness, that are about our ability to stay resourced when we get new information that challenges our worldview, like really simple stuff that we saw kind of rear its ugly head during the 2016 election when we're talking about fake news and what is the meaning of truth and that battle between story and truth. And so that I think is is very misunderstood that it's the, the fact that people have forgotten how to play well together in groups that really challenges initiatives and that there's just some basic how to be human together stuff that I feel is the prerequisite for being able to work on those deeper systemic issues. Yeah, and I know as part of your work, uh, you help to improve relationships between people, between communities. What do you think is the biggest message you want to get out there in terms of how we can go back to our very fundamental human connections? And like, what can we do as individuals to help strengthen relationships between people? We can find the places where we're defensive (laughs) and work on that, that the whole it's not you, it's me. Mm-hmm. If we all could just take that phrase and really embed it within ourselves, no matter what we're talking about, and always see where we're the ones who could widen our perspective or who could get a bit more resource so that we could be in the presence of opinions and worldviews that are different from ours, it would really allow us to do deeper, more complex work. And I think that everyone should have that as a first step. 
For sure. I know that self-development is something that you focus on a lot. And I feel like when we think about sustainability, it's this larger-than-life concept. But when you talk about self-development, that feels a lot more tangible because we have control over that. How do you think self-development can support like these huge sustainability goals? So a great example is working on the food system. Um, I'm in the state of California, and California is kind of unique. It's one of the five Mediterranean climates in the world, which means that we can grow a lot. I think we supply something like a quarter of America's fruits and vegetables just because we're such a productive land state. And one of the unique things about California is that we can grow anything, but we need water to do it. And so California's water laws and the way that we take water from different places can get very complex. And that is, there is no right or wrong answer to that. You know, how much water do you take from where to grow how much food in the state of California? There are benefits to growing a lot of food in the state of California. There's also benefits to maintaining different watersheds. And so I feel like when it comes to the environment and the economy, there is no right or wrong. There's just checks and balances and different dynamics that need to be managed and resources that are in dynamic flow with one another. And part of the job of natural resource management and economic development is to make sophisticated decisions while balancing multiple needs. But that concept of balancing multiple needs and making sophisticated decisions requires a high level of maturity in the ability to compromise and in the ability to understand how to govern and the meaning of governance besides government. And so that's how I feel like self-development really fits in with systemic change work, is that if you can't make sophisticated decisions because you're so tied to your own opinion that you're willing to filibuster or you're willing to defend against any type of complexity because it interrupts your identity, then we're never going to get anywhere. And we're going to get into this quagmire and this bottleneck that Congress sees itself in right now because we've lost the ability to govern, because we've lost the ability to lead because we're not tapping into our own weaknesses in a way that's improving them. Yeah. How can we inspire this mindset shift between this feeling of defensiveness to like this higher purpose of the big picture and allowing sustainability to be complex and not be about right or wrong, but just about balance, like you mentioned? Well, it kind of goes back to what I said about working on ourselves first. Like, I think more there are so many people like me who see that this is the core issue. And those of us who see it can get knowledgeable about leadership development and systemic change work so that we're always able to talk about them both. And one example of that that I would lift up is that my firm, Soil and Shadow, is about to release a paper called Designing the Future. And it was done in partnership with an organization called Fibershed that was looking at different entrepreneurs and artisans all over the country that are doing fiber and textiles as a shed, the way that food can be a shed, where you're looking at all how to, the same way when you're looking at a food shed, it's seeing what food can come from within 100 miles. Fiber shed is looking at how fiber and clothing can come from within 100 miles. It's regional economic development. It's natural resource management because fiber comes out of the soil. A lot of fibers come out of the soil the same way that food does, so it can regenerate the environment. And then looking at livelihoods versus just jobs. And so that's the social aspect is reinvigorating craftsmanship and artisanship and making sure people feel like they have dignity with economic development. 
And so that is a perfect example of how to use the concept of sustainability and self-development. There's a whole section in the paper about bridging cultural divides. Lifting that up and having those kind of philosophies out there is really important. Yeah. So Soil and Shadow, it's your project development firm working on uh, creating systems change while improving relationships between communities. Can you walk us through like your motivation and your journey to founding Soil and Shadow? I am going to give some shout outs, I think, along the way of the people that helped to get me here. So I talked about Michael Cox at first because he was one, he was the first person to introduce me to the concept of sustainability. And I will always, always be indebted to him for that. And then when I was in graduate school, I was getting a degree in African-American studies. And I really wanted to know more about environmental justice and how to do regenerative work while doing environmental justice. And I saw Van Jones speak when I was in graduate school and ended up working for him at Green for All, which was the organization he founded after the Ella Baker Center. And his mentorship was just incredibly invaluable when it comes to how to do regenerative work while also stopping the harm that's happening to our people. And then when I switched and got into food work, Josh Fiertel at that point was the executive director of Slow Food USA. And I learned a lot from him when I went to work there about how to transition a movement that was primarily focused on the pleasure of food and conviviality into one that was a little bit closer to advocacy around food injustice issues. So it was just, it was beautiful to work there. And then Brahma Mahdi, who's going to be opening People's Community Market in October of 2018, Holler was the executive director and founder of People's Grocery. And I, that was my first executive director job and I would not have gotten that without him. And so really thinking about the food system in relationship to climate was something that was deep, deep, deep in my heart. And when I moved from climate, the climate movement to the food movement, it was really because I wanted to figure out how to get everyday people interested in the environment in a way that was heart inspiring and heart centered. And I had a lot of trouble finding the heart centered place in climate, although a lot of the climate justice movement is very good at that. I just wasn't the one to do it myself. Um, and so at People's Grocery, that was what I tried to do. and then. Soil work came up because of one of our current clients, actually, Sally Calhoun, who runs the No Regrets Initiative. And I, at some point, got really disillusioned about our chances of survival as a species sometime around 2014. I, just, I started getting really concerned about biodiversity and just our ability to actually stay under 400 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. I just didn't know if it was possible. And Sally did a workshop on soil carbon sequestration. And I learned about the capacity of our agricultural lands to take carbon out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. And that that has a bunch of co-benefits, which was not a concept I ever really knew about. Because what I was used to was unintended consequences, that you try to do something good for the environment, but then you end up accidentally degrading all these other systems because it's so hard to keep your hands on something that's a living system. Ecosystems are so dynamic. How do you know whether the actions you're doing are creating, are regenerating that ecosystem or degrading that ecosystem? Sometimes it can be really hard to tell. 
But focusing on building healthy soil is an intervention that is almost impossible to get wrong if you're doing it the right way, that you will unintentionally benefit other systems. Like more carbon in the soil means that we have more nutrient-dense food. More carbon in the soil to get there means that you have to graze your animals in a way that makes them healthier and that makes the soil healthier. It means that you stop erosion, which means that there's less drought and less potential for fires. There's so many different benefits that come when you build healthy soil. So that's really part of the ethos behind Soil and Shadow, is that soil is a concrete intervention that is the hub in the wheel of environmental regeneration with a bunch of different spokes that are really, really beneficial. And that it's also a metaphor, which is the shadow part for building fertility within systems, which we can do socially as well. Yeah, I really want to unpack both of those things, soil and shadow, because I feel like there's so much wisdom behind this name that you have. And I feel like just in general, soil health is something that we don't talk about enough when we talk about sustainability issues. Can you kind of share what's the condition of soil degeneration across the globe today? What does this picture look like? Well, a few years ago, we had 60 years of topsoil left. So now it's probably closer to 57 or 55 years. And part of the reason for that is that our agricultural practices don't build soil over time. Things like tilling, things like monocropping, things like confined animal feed operations, CAFOs, strip the soil of its nutrients. And then we end up having to put fertilizer on the soil in order to continue getting the yields we need from the crops we're planting. But putting fertilizer putting fertilizer on that's only a few different nutrients that increases yield doesn't increase the complexity of the microbial life in the soil. And it doesn't necessarily help put carbon back into the soil and really boost the photosynthetic process. So the combination of all of those practices has meant that every year we're losing layers and layers of topsoil. So it's a pretty devastating situation to only have 50 plus years of topsoil left all over the world. But these regenerative practices are the thing that can help reverse that. Yeah. So what can the individual consumer do as a buyer to help support regenerative farming? Buying products from regenerative farmers. But I think the first step to that would be to understand the difference between natural products, organic products, and regenerative products. That the word natural right now is being used all over the place. And it has somewhat lost its meaning because certain businesses are just using natural to say that, you know, maybe we're sourcing slightly differently, but that doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on whether the environment's benefiting from that changing sourcing. Organic is a step better than that. And there are certain organic operations now that are monocultures and that are not using pesticides. So it's healthier for our bodies, but they're still doing agriculture in a way that's stripping nutrients out of the soil. But regenerative products are the ones that are actually building healthy soil. And that's when you can buy produce from farmers markets. There are businesses now that are marketing themselves as regenerative businesses. If grounded goods, is one that I would definitely lift up. It's a monthly um, monthly box that you can order where every month you get a beautifully curated box of regenerative products from chocolate to wheat to coffee to 
wool sponges. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible way to get introduced to the world of regenerative products. That's definitely something consumers can do. Mm -hmm. Are there any certifications that we can look out for, like biodynamic or anything that showcases regenerative farming practices? I think if you go to fibershed.com, they're doing some work around certification right now, but I'm not 100% sure what that certification is. Okay. Or actually, the No Regrets Initiative is another one I would say. Find No Regrets, the No Regrets Initiative online and on Twitter. And if you tweet or ask a question about that to the team there, they'll be able to have the answer to that question. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like the organic certification is everywhere these days. And when people see it, they want to support it. So the next step is to tie the consumer with practices that are regenerative for the soil. So if we can have certifications for people to like pick apart organic with this next level of what can support um, our soil health, that would be amazing. So we'll definitely look into those. And so soil, uh, on your website, there's this beautiful statement, uh, soil is at the center of life on this planet. And while one can unintentionally degrade other ecosystems when focusing on water, animal welfare, carbon emissions, it's almost impossible to degrade the ecosystem when building healthy soil. What do you think is missing from our current way of looking at sustainability? It gets back to what I was saying before about the destructive agricultural practices all over the world. I think that soil is pretty hidden when we think about the environment because it's just dirt. And unless you are working with agriculture, you don't really think about soil that often. And I think big picture when it, when we're looking at our larger environmental movement and when we're looking at larger sustainability, there's a lot of folks working on sustainability that are urban folk like myself who don't necessarily interact with the environment on a day-to-day basis. So the way that we come up with our solutions, unfortunately, just gets inherently disconnected from the way that the environment and ecology actually works. And so I think that's not something to skip over or to underestimate, is that it's really important that those of us that are working on environmental solutions have some kind of regular interaction with the ecosystem that's beyond just a a trip to go do a farm tour. Like there needs to be hands in the dirt in some kind of way. And I am calling myself out here because I haven't figured out how to do that as of yet. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the reason why I started Soil and Shadow because it forces me to interact with soil and to think about soil. And even just that step has completely changed the way that I approach my ecological systems intervention. And so I think that that's important. Yeah. And given that a lot of people that live in urban landscapes who don't interact with soil on a daily basis um, are very disconnected from soil health in general, how can we elevate soil health uh, into the conversation of sustainability for the public? I think human health is a great way to start. There's a wonderful book called, there's a couple books actually that I would recommend and lift up. One is The Hidden Half of Nature which is about, it's by David Montgomery, and it's about microbes and microbial life. And David Montgomery is one of my intellectual crushes. Hey, David. (laughs) Um, But when I learned about microbes, it just blew my mind. Because looking at the microbiome of the soil and looking at the microbiome of our gut, they're very similar, and they interact a lot. And one of the other books that really explains this connection is um, Pharmacology. 
and it's F-A-R-M by Dr. Daphne Miller. And that goes into the medical industry and what the medicine, what medical folk can learn from soil and learn from agriculture and vice versa. Daphne and I are actually doing a workshop in August that I can follow up with you about and get out to the listeners that is something of an introduction to the way that human health and soil health interact. And so big picture, there's autoimmune diseases, there's thyroid issues, there's multiple chemical sensitivity, there's all these chronic issues that we have as a society that are fairly new that doctors and the medical industry has trouble with because medicine is really, really good at acute issues, but it's not as good as chronic issues. And rejiggering our gut microbiomes is a really good way, a really, really effective intervention to chronic issues. And so the easiest way to do that is to eat food that comes out of a complex microbiome from the soil. Oh, I love that. So health is really, you know, people care about their own health. So if they care about their own health, this is something that should be like top priority for them as well. Even though it feels like a, it feels so far away, like soil on the other side of the state or something, but it's really something that is connected with us on a day-to-day basis through food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the second part of uh, Soil and Shadow is shadow. And on the website, it says shadow is a commitment to integration. As we've seen in our last year of political upheaval, just revealing hidden pain isn't enough to weave a constructive path forward. I feel like we're definitely becoming more aware of our very deep-rooted issues as a society. But how do you think we can go from awareness to creating meaningful change? What I was saying about defensiveness, and working on our own defensiveness is it. I would recenter and highlight, bold, underline that. Mm-hmm. The, pro- the practice of looking externally when we feel uncomfortable and trying to get rid of the thing out there that makes us uncomfortable is much, much less effective than looking to ourselves first and seeing how we, what we're being triggered by that makes us uncomfortable and working on the trigger. Just that step. I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. Do you have a more concrete example of that, that we can, I feel like this needs to sink in with me. Yeah, totally. So um, (laughs) a personal example and then a systemic example. So when it comes to me and my husband, I have a six month old right now. And there's things about my husband that just really, really irritate me. And I am sleep deprived and my body hurts because I'm nursing all the time and all of these things. And I'm just pretty uncomfortable. And it would be really easy for me to externalize that discomfort and just lash out at whoever's around me, i.e. my husband. And I sit in meditation every day and identify what's going on with me at the beginning of the day so that when I get angry and irritated throughout the day, there's a step between me just being uncomfortable and then lashing out because I'm uncomfortable and me realizing, oh, I'm uncomfortable right now. Maybe I can share how I'm uncomfortable and then use that as a way to connect with my husband instead of pushing him away. So that's a really personal example. And then a systemic example would be as an African-American woman, this feels a little risky to say, so I'm just going to put that out there. Um, As an African-American woman, I am 
always aware of microaggressions and the pain that's out in the world. And it's really easy for me to point the finger and to shame people when they're acting in ways that are reinforcing white supremacy or racism or classism or any of those things. But part of me not being defensive and doing my own work is asking the question, what's the outcome I'm going for? Is the outcome I'm going for creating even more shame so that the person behaves even worse the next time? Or they're so guilty that they never actually fix what it is that created the behavior in the first place? No. My outcome would be for them to stop the behavior that's creating harm. And the way to support someone with stopping the behavior is to approach them like a human being and help them understand and really integrate what it was about the behavior that was harmful so that their emotional and mental bodies can step forward and say, I don't want to cause that harm anymore. But shame is not the vehicle to get them to recognize that. And so I really have a strong practice of not shaming people when I am experiencing behaviors that make me feel terrible as an African-American woman, but it takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of stamina and it takes remembering that when I do shame and when I do lash out, always remembering that question of what's the outcome I'm going for. And if my behavior is going to be counterproductive to the outcome I'm going for, because it's going to reinforce guilt and shame, then I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So it's being more intentional Personally, it's being more self-aware and trying to develop an even deeper understanding of why things are the way they are rather than just reacting. Exactly. But that takes me being really well-resourced myself. It takes a lot of self-care. Yeah. So it really goes back to self-development and how key that is for this whole big picture movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And kind of taking a step back, what do you think our world needs most today to help us accelerate towards a sustainable planet? generosity of spirit, that we are all really doing the best that we can. I think we focused a lot on level nine harm, <laughs> you know, when there's actually people being enslaved or beaten or hung or, or killed. Those to me are like level nine, level 10 harm. But there's all this harm happening between level two and level six, for example. That's just everyday stuff that we tend to not focus on sometimes because it's so much easier and clearer and more black and white to go and try to stop the harm that's level nine, level 10. But one of the conundrums is that if you go straight there, it's almost impossible sometimes to interrupt that kind of harm because by then those people are so far gone and the situations are so far gone that it's, it takes very extreme action to stop those. So I really think that if we have more generosity of spirit and start approaching people, when there's these very slight disconnects happening of disconnects of trust, disconnects between people who could care about each other, but don't know each other well enough to care about each other yet. If we start building there, then it'll automatically start to trickle down the chain and reducing the bigger levels of harm. Mm -hmm. I need to let that sink in as well. Uh, but for now, what's next for you? What's next for a soil and shadow that we can look forward to and support? So we're going to be starting a newsletter really soon. 
um, I'd say go to NikkiSilvestri.com to sign up for the newsletter. And in that newsletter is all this stuff I'm talking about. You're going to, there's going to be a special going on with Project Grounded and Grounded Goods so that you can get that box of regenerative goods at a discount. Look out for that. The Designing the Future paper, an initiative that's going to be doing um, different events across the country talking about how to build regenerative regional economies is going to be coming soon. And there's also going to be some self-care retreats and coaching work and different wellness programs to really embed this self-development work. Before we go into our final five tips for you, I wanted to say, if you're enjoying this episode and know of some friends who would also enjoy it, I'd so appreciate it if you shared it with them. It helps the show out so much. And I really just hope that together we can raise awareness for how sustainability really connects to our health. And like Nikki said in this episode, how we can work on self-development as a key part of working towards sustainability. That was a really refreshing way to look at this. And I feel like it makes environmental issues seem less daunting and more relatable. Like we can support the movement by looking within first. I'll share more of my takeaways at the very end, but for now, here are Nikki's final five tips for you. Let's power through. What's one publication or social media account you follow for inspiration? My leak teal. And that's at my taught you. She is an African-American woman entrepreneur who runs a business called Curlbox. And she just is, she's hilarious and really, really real and very transparent about her journey as a black woman entrepreneur. And I just love, I love her inspiration all day, every day. Yeah. What's something you do uh, for your health weekly or daily? I love listening to podcasts while I wash my hair and I take a really long time to wash my hair. I'm super (laughs) luxurious about it. What's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week? Going to a farmer's market and buying from really good regenerative farmers. What do you tell yourself to stay inspired? I am enough. What makes you most hopeful right now about our planet? When people are able to do our own work and then share it and be really vulnerable. And an example that I would have on that is that um, one of my dear friends and I are starting a new project called the Love Trust Experiment. And that's the Love Trust Experiment on Instagram, just at the Love Trust Experiment. And she and I go back and forth every day sharing some of this deeper learning that we're doing. And it's more vulnerable than I've ever been publicly on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. But that just so inspires me that she and I are willing to do that and willing to put ourselves out there like that. Yeah. And what final words of wisdom would you like to pass on to us as Green Dreamers? Mm, That you are enough. Green Dreamer, you are enough. Here are my two key takeaways. Number one, back to the fundamentals. We can actually support the sustainability movement by working on ourselves through self-development. When we learn to listen more deeply, understand before judging or reacting, take note of what it is that makes us feel defensive and try to spin that in a way that's like, it's not you, it's me, and start opening ourselves up from within, we can ultimately strengthen the messages that we're trying to get across because then we understand other people better. And then we can work more harmoniously and effectively with other people in and outside of this eco space. Number two, 
soil health. It's something that isn't as quantifiable as water usage, energy use, emissions, etc. that we usually focus on and use to measure our environmental efforts. But just by focusing on how we can protect and improve our soil health across the globe, it can support sustainability in all of these different ways at the same time. Because ultimately, improved soil health means that we can actually capture more carbon in the soil, meaning it can be climate beneficial. Uh, we can retain water better in our lands, which can help fight droughts. Our foods will be more nutritious and have healthier microbiome, which can then strengthen our health and immunity when we eat. Our ecosystems will be healthier, which means we'll have healthier environments to live and breathe in, and so much more. It really helps to strengthen the health of entire ecosystems. I'm really excited about regenerative farming, which we covered a little bit in this episode. I think, at least, it's going to be one of the next big things in sustainability, and we'll definitely be hearing a lot more about it because it takes organic. Which is already widely accepted and supported to the next level to support the health of entire ecosystems. Like I mentioned, we have some upcoming guests who are experts on regenerative farming. I'm still learning more about it every day, but I'm really excited to learn more from them and to share those conversations with you. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you can stay updated on those upcoming episodes. But for now, that's a wrap for this episode. Find the full show notes at greendreamer.com/twenty-five. Get in touch with me on Instagram or Twitter at Kamea Shane, and email me at hello at greendreamer.com if you have any feedback to help me improve the show to make it even more helpful to you. If you have any takeaways that you want to share with me, feel welcome to reach out. And finally, just remember: now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer. I will catch you later.